The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. verses 10 through 22. And let me just read through it quick, quickly. It says, Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the east and to the west, north and south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until you ha- I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. But he was afraid also and said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. Uh, I love uh, Jacob's comment when he wakes up from his dream. He says, wow, God is here, and I had no idea, right? I had no idea. And up to this point in Jacob's life, there's been nothing extremely extraordinary about his faith, right? Uh, I think this characterizes Jacob's life up to this point in general. It's like Jacob could say, there's a God, and I had no idea, right? Uh, God has a plan for my life, and I had no idea. And it's a great picture of Romans 12, too, of a guy who has been so conformed by the world, who's been so squeezed into the worldview that he's clueless about what God is about in his life, right? And I love this story. Here uh, uh, we find Jacob kind of out in the wilderness all by himself, and it begins to dawn on him that there is more to his life and more to reality than he was aware of, right? And I think it's a great picture for us. And I think the reality is that many of us are unaware of how much our thinking in our mind has been squeezed and conformed by the world we live in. And how much it is choking off our vision of the true reality that is part of our life. Right? So let's see how Jacob can help us um, do, as it says in Romans 12, too, to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing our mind by changing the way we think and see the world we live in, all right? Uh, so first off, first point, uh, we, see, we see Jacob basically doing life in the wrong direction. Uh, and if you back up a bit, if you weren't here last week, you get the story. Uh, Jacob is basically running for his life. Uh, his uh, brother Esau has finally had enough of his conniving little brother, uh, twin but younger, who has stolen his birthright, who has stolen his blessing, who has wriggled his way in as sole uh, heir 
to all that uh, his father owns, right? And so Esau's decided that when dad dies, his plan is to kill off Jacob. Mom finds out, mom being the classic, you know, kind of warrior war, it says, you know, son, you've got to leave. Your brother's going to kill you. And so he's, he's fleeing. And uh, in, verse, in the beginning of chapter 28, uh, Jacob calls us in and he blesses him. Uh, but notice the blessing that he gets in, in, in verses 1, 2, and 3. He says, uh, You must not marry any of these Canaanite women. Go to Padan Aram, to the house of your grandfather, and marry one of your uncle Laban's daughters. And then he says, he says a blessing. And he uses classic blessing formula. He says, May the God Almighty bless you. May you have many children. May your camels not have fleas. You know, may you have a good life. Okay? And it really comes to Jacob as a second-hand blessing. Right? Now, Abraham got very much the same blessing, but when Abraham got it, he got it directly from God. And God says, I am going to do these things in your life. I am going to give you many descendants. I am going to give you this land, and I am going to bless you, and I am going to make you a blessing to others. Right? Isaac got the same blessing on a direct encounter from God. God showed up. God restated this blessing directly to Isaac. Right? But for Jacob, it comes here as a second-hand blessing, and it just doesn't translate so well. You know? It is not, this is what God absolutely is going to do in your life. Instead, it's, well, boy, God bless you, and may you have a good life, and I hope it goes well for you. And it really comes off very much like a wish or a hope. Right? Uh, I don't know if it's that Isaac didn't believe it, or if uh, it just is the vagueness of it, but it doesn't come through with teeth. Right? It comes through rather like a hope, a wish. And that's the problem of any second-hand blessing. Right? And that's really where uh, Jacob finds himself. He has yet to have a personal encounter with God. He has yet to hear directly from God, and he's been living his life second-hand through the experiences of his grandfather and his father. Right? He has no direct uh, experience walking with God and hearing his voice and understanding what God's heart and intention for him. To this point, all it has been is hand-me-downs from his ancestors. Uh, it is a second-hand faith for him and a second-hand relationship and a second-hand blessing. And the problem is that when it comes to faith in God, second-hand or hand-me-downs are worthless. Right? There's no such thing. We can't give to our kids our faith. We can't just pass on to them our convictions, our belief, our values. They have to own an encounter and experience on their own. And so far, Jacob hasn't encountered that. Um, and we find him uh, getting the secondhand blessing. And ironically, everything that he had schemed and plotted for to this point in his life, he's now running away from, right? Uh, he connived to get the birthright from his brother, which made him... Uh, heir to his father's estate. Then, through the help of his mother, he steals his father's blessing from his brother, right? But what's happening here is that he's now leaving home, leaving his family, leaving the inheritance that he just stole, right? And he's going away from the land of promise and the land of blessing, and he's returning to the place where Abraham started out. Uh, so in a very real sense, he's going the wrong way. Instead of moving forward into God's promise and forward into God's blessing, he's going the wrong direction. He's going away from the blessing, away from the promise. And we see him leaving home. And I love this picture because he leaves home 
without anything but the clothes on his back. If you, if you compare this with Isaac's story, remember uh, Abraham was very concerned that Isaac get a wife. And so what does he do? He sends his servant loaded with ten camels, loaded down with gold and treasures and wealth, to go find Isaac a wife. J- Jacob leaves home without a penny, right? Doesn't even get one camel. Not even the fleas off the camel, right? He's headed out alone. So not only does he not have his family, not only does he have his parents, not only does he have those relationships, he now has left everything that he supposedly inherited with his brother, who now seems to be the sole receiver of all that Jacob had schemed to get. It's not working. His plan did not go according to his, his intentions. He's headed away from the inheritance, away, and really he's in many senses going backward, not forward. And he finds himself all alone, somewhere out far from home in the wilderness at this place called Bethel, a rather remote wilderness place, uh, where he is all alone. He has no place to sleep. Uh, There's no inn. There's no room at the inn. There's not even a stable. He doesn't even get to sleep with the sheep. Uh, He is just alone. And uh, it doesn't really tell us a lot about how he felt or what was going on uh, it doesn't say that he felt bad of be, being alone. We, the text doesn't imply that he was in any way discouraged. But if you put yourself in his shoes, if it were me, I would be quite discouraged, right? I would be quite lonely and quite... I would be depressed. Because here's the deal. Everything that I've worked and plotted and schemed to accomplish to this point in my life, I've now lost, right? I'm headed the wrong direction. Uh, I've I've kind of cheated myself out of all that I had hoped for, and I'm backpedaling, I'm going the wrong direction. Uh, you know, kind of the low point of the whole deal is he has to use a rock for a pillow. Okay, that's bad. Okay, when you get to the point where you're using rocks, stones for pillows, you're at the bottom. Okay, you, you, you've hit the bottom of the rung. It's, it's not going to get much worse. Right? And that's where we find him. Um, and I don't know if he was discouraged about it, but if we put ourselves in our shoes, certainly there's been times in our life when we probably have felt like him. Uh, or we've been in that place where it just seemed that life is not working out the way we planned, right? And maybe unlike Jacob, maybe we have actually been trying to follow God. Maybe we haven't been plotting and scheming. Maybe we're not a deceiver like he was. But in spite of all that, we still find ourselves uh, in a lonely place where it seems like it's just not working. Right, where our plans and the, our dreams, the way we thought things would work out, have not happened. And we feel that we are going the wrong way. That God and His program is this direction, and we're going at the speed of light the wrong direction. It's kind of like being stuck on a Bangkok expressway. I just had this happen when I was there a couple weeks ago. You know, you're on the Bangkok expressway, and you just watch your exit go by, and you're going on this road the wrong direction as you watch your road in the rearview mirror fading into the distance. And there's a sign that says, next exit, you know, forever. <laughs> right, forever. And as I did this, twice actually. It was so much fun. <laughs> right? And that's kind of where we get sometimes in life. And it's like we've missed it, and we're headed the wrong direction away, and it looks bleak. Right? Well, I don't know that, and like I said, I don't know that he felt that. I don't know that that's where he was. Um, and maybe he really is not all that discouraged. 
But if he's not discouraged, he's not discouraged for the wrong reasons, if that's possible. Okay? He, he's too content and complacent, but he's complacent for the wrong reasons. And the real reason he is, uh, if he is complacent, is that he really is clueless about what's going on. Right? Uh, he is, as he states, uh, in a place of, of having no idea that he should be depressed. Okay? Um, that he's so clueless and oblivious to God's direction and purpose and program and plan that if he's not discouraged, he should be. Right? And maybe if he's not, it's because he's just flat, clueless about, um, about what is at stake. Right? I think in many respects, Jacob is quite clueless about the size of God's promise and plan. Right? Now we look back at the story and we talk about the patriarchs. The patriarchs were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? This is a, kind of like a key player in this whole story. In fact, uh, to, to date, we call their descendants the nation of Israel. Okay? Jacob later gets his name changed to Israel. He's kind of like a main player in this story, right? He's kind of like a key guy here. And he is clueless. He has no idea uh, what his life is about. He doesn't understand the size of God's promise. He does not have any clue about his place in God's program and plan. And I really believe at this point, he, he really just has no idea, right? For him, the blessing that God passed on to his father was nothing more than a hopeful wish that life would go well, right? He, he does not see his future. He does not see his place in God's plan. He does not see his unique role for the ages. He has no idea that someday, 4,000 years after this, people would be talking about his story, right? Would be looking at and examining his life. Most significantly, he has no idea that when God says, the nations will be blessed for you, through you, that one of his descendants would be Jesus, would be the Messiah, would be the means by which God would redeem the world, right? That all just goes by him, right? And probably the, the, the biggest thing on his mind is finding a smooth enough rock to use as a pillow. Okay? That's kind of where he's at. Clueless, right? Um, and, you know, I wonder how much, and it's easy to kind of look at his story and hopefully see some humor in this guy who's one of the key figures of the Old Testament and clueless to it. But... Uh, I wonder how much we are like him, right? Do we really have a clue or an idea who we are in God's plan and program, right? Do we really have any grasp of the significance of who we are in God's eternal unfolding program in history, right? Or are we like Jacob, just kind of clueless to the whole thing, um, thinking that our life is rather insignificant and unimportant, uh, not realizing that we are significantly and crucial part of God's plan. And the problem is that we are, we are uh, left with a worldview that fails to see our grand significance in light of God's unfolding history. And what we are left with is to be obsessed and consumed with the trivial and empty and meaningless. Right? Our world is consumed with stupid things. Okay, Next picture. Here's stupid things. Okay? Now, apparently, uh, this is uh, Princess Beatrice or something, I don't know, Princess Beatrice, who wore this hat to the royal wedding a couple weeks ago, right? 
Uh, now here's, here's how, this is what happens when your life has no real meaning and significance. When you don't understand the grand design of your life, you wear hats like that, right? What's even more bizarre, can okay, you get this? Right now, that hat is, is up for bids on eBay. $120,000 is where the bid is at. Okay, the hat has been described as something between uh, antlers, a toilet seat, and a pretzel. Okay. And you see, that's what, that's what happens when you embrace, uh, when you are conformed to the world. When you are conformed to the world, that's what you get, right? That's what life is. Life is being consumed with trivial, meaningless, futile, stupid things, right? And we run the risk when we end up like Jacob, uh, oblivious and clueless to who we are in Christ and what exactly it is God wants to do in us and through us to being caught up in the mundane and the futile and the empty and the silly. Right? We don't want to be there. Do we really know who we are and God, what God's purpose and plan? Do we have any idea how our life will impact eternity? Right? If we had an idea of that, I think... Uh, we would have no time or patience for stupid things like that, you know. We, I'm sure most of us don't. Um, but we would not get so caught up in the fervor of the world and its fascination with the trivial. So let me give you some things that I think uh, God, God seeks to show Jacob. Uh, God comes, he appears to him in this dream, and I really believe the whole point is for God to say, look, Jacob, let me bring you up to speed. I want to reshape your worldview because right now your worldview is a world where you are this kind of insignificant little creature who's wandering through life aimlessly. Let me show you what your life is really about. And I'm convinced that everything that God shows Jacob is at some level true for us. So let's look at these. First of all, uh, we need to be more aware of the spiritual realm. All right? Uh, we need to reshape our reality. I said get a grip on reality. We need a new focus on what is real, what's significant, what's important. We need to get a clue. And the first thing is to have a deeper awareness of the spiritual realm. Uh, Jacob lays down. He's sleeping on this rock. Uh, he has a dream. <laughs> um, I guess sleeping on a rock would do that. And uh, in the dream, he pictures this ladder or stairway, most likely a stairway, the, the Hebrew word could be translated either way. Personally, I think it was an escalator. I think, you know, it was an escalator. Um, whatever it was, it was this, this bridge connecting heaven and earth. And he sees these angels going up and down this escalator, God at the top, and, uh, and it connects heaven and earth. Uh, the one advantage of picturing a ladder is that a ladder can't be infinitely tall. A stairway could be quite... I mean, I've seen some pretty long escalators. Um, I think we need to get a picture that even though it touches heavens, heaven isn't infinitely far away. In fact, the picture is that it's really quite close. Uh, it is this picture of this portal between the two realms of heaven and earth, right? Uh, Jacob, like probably many of us, can get this idea that God's universe uh, occupies time and space and that heaven is what's beyond it, Right? So like if you want to travel to heaven, you have to get in a rocket ship, <clears throat> travel at the speed of light for several billion light years. When you get to the edge of the universe, you'll hit a wall, being the edge of the universe, and there'll be a door. You go through the door, and on the other side is heaven, right? 
Well, that's a, a, a poor concept of what heaven is. And of course, a lot of that comes out of this idea, uh, which is theologically true, that God is transcendent. <clears throat> Big, cool word you can throw around with your friends. Oh, I believe in the transcendent God. Okay? I don't know what it means, but it sounds cool. Right? What, what is the transcendent God? Well, it simply means that God is not part of creation. He's outside of it. Right? And so when we visualize God being outside of creation, we, we have to squeeze creation into a box and put God outside the box. Right? So there is this, we, we conceptualize this wall that borders all that God made, all the universe, and God somehow occupies the space beyond that. Right? Uh, and it's true God is transcendent. It's true that he is in no way part of creation. It's true that he is not bound by its limits or constraints. Uh, God, does not, God is not stuck in gravity like we are. Okay? He transcends all of that. Uh, he is not limited by time and space like we are. He transcends all that. He's outside of it. But it's wrong to think that, uh, that God is therefore far away, right? that the heavenly realms are far away. And God wants to impress upon Jacob the reality that the heavenly realm is very much connected, in a sense, right next door to the world we live in. That God is transcendent, but he's also imminent. He's also close by and near to us. That there is this portal, there's this bridge, there's this doorway that instantly connects heaven with every part of his creation. So the, the truth and the reality is that God... Uh, is not looking at us from billions of light years away through a telescope observing our service this morning. God is here. Okay, heaven borders this room and this place in our lives. Right? That's the point of it. And that there is indeed a spiritual a reality that is all around us, that is very much as part of the reality we live in as the physical world. Right? And so Jacob sees these angels coming up and down, and he really gets a picture a glimpse into the spiritual realm that's going on all around us. Right? He, sees, um, he sees angels, which are God's messengers, carrying out the activity of God uh, between heaven and earth. Right? And we don't know what the angels do. It says they're going up and down the stairs. But the kind of the picture I get is that they hit the ground and they all start going off in different directions. Right? And the angels are... are messengers of God that patrol the earth. And the picture is supposed to be that of these spiritual beings who are very much present on earth, right? So if we were to put it in a kind of modern day scenario, uh, the reality is that we are being watched by myriads of angels, right? Right here all around, you can all look around up, up high and pretend that there is this grandstand of spiritual beings who are watching us, okay? And it's real, right? Uh, a, maybe a more comforting picture or significant is that as you were driving here this morning, uh, there were several angels out, you know, around your car, right? Getting people out of the way, protecting you. When you weren't looking, you know, they slapped you on the face. Oh, why is this important? Why is it important that Jacob become more aware of the spiritual realm, the spiritual reality that he is a part of? Um, I think what's true for Jacob is also true for us is that it's far too simple to limit life and see only reality as that which we can see, touch, feel, taste, right? Now, of course, Jacob didn't live in the scientific worldview that we do. Our naturalistic worldview has only compounded the problem. But the reality is that I think many of us as Christians live as functional deists, 
another big word. Sorry for the big words this morning. Uh, Deism believes that God created the world and then left it, right? And that the world can operate on its own, that God created it so well it doesn't even need a checkup, doesn't need an oil change, right? Never needs a tune-up. It just runs, right? And, uh, and therefore, God doesn't need to manage it or maintain it. And so God left. God went on vacation, and he is no longer um, taking care of the world. Right? Now, theologically, we know that's not true, and uh, we know that Thomas Jefferson and all those deists were somehow bad people. But functionally, I think a lot of us as Christians live life as if it were true, as if this world does not need God's hand upon it, right? As if the world, science is right, that the world doesn't need God's help and that God's functionally not here, right? That we live in a world that is dominated by the laws of physics and nothing else, right? Uh, The sad reality is the, the, the world that we are conformed to and that we've got to own as part of our own worldview is a world dominated by the God of science. Now, I believe in science, okay? Uh, I, I do believe uh, that science has benefits. I do not believe that science is the ultimate gauge or judge of truth, right? You cannot discern all that is true only through the means of science, right? Uh, science is blind to everything that's outside what it chooses to see, right? And it chooses to see a very narrow slice of what's real and true, the sad thing, though, is that Christians have... And this is, this, is, this is the scenario. Science has said, truth is only what we can see. If you can't see it, touch, taste, feel it, if it doesn't meet our narrow test of scientific certainty, it's not only not true, it is superstition. It's fairy tale, right? Okay, the world's having a great joke over the whole end of the thing, world thing, you know. And, and the naturalists and the scientists are saying, see... You can't prove it. You can't touch it. It's just superstition. And if you believe it, you're a nutcase, right? And a lot of us as Christians feel embarrassed because, once again, we're proved to be fools, right? Uh, But we can't uh, live under that, that narrow banner of truth. The problem is science cannot be the source or means of truth. Um, we, uh, through science, judge truth only by what we see rather than judging what we see by what is indeed true. Get the difference? Okay, science judges truth only by what it sees rather than judging what we see by what is indeed true. Here's the deal. If, if you go with the logic of science, then the world's flat. Okay, what I mean by that is if you go back in time, rewind, cl- days of Columbus... What could they prove scientifically? Well, they could prove scientifically that the world was flat because that's what they saw, right? They could not believe in a truth they could not see, right? That's science. Okay, that's where science takes you, right? Uh, the reality is we have to embrace truth first and then judge what we see based on truth. And uh, God has revealed himself as, as the source of all truth, as the creator of everything that is, uh, he is here, he is present, he is part of this world, and he is active in it. Okay? The spiritual realm is every bit as real and powerful as the physical realm. 
But the question is this, how much of our life is dominated by the physical realm versus how much of it's dominated by the spiritual, right? Uh, we buy car insurance, we buy health insurance because we want those things to take care of us when our, we are sick. But how often when we are sick do we pray for healing, right? That tells us which world we're really dominated by, right? Uh, great book by Andrew Murray. Don't read it. Okay, I'm warning you, don't read this book, Divine Healing. Okay, he basically says, we're all idiots for going to the doctor and we should just be praying for healing. Right? Most of us would, would, would bristle at that, would go, that can't be right. Because science has told us the cure is science. right? Because we're dominated by that. And I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. right? Uh, go to the doctor, take drugs. I love drugs. <laughs> but do I love prayer more? Right? Is my hope in medicine or is my hope in God? Am I a functional deist that believes my only hope is what doctors can do for me? Or do I believe in a spiritual realm where God is able to do whatever He wants in the physical realm? He is not constrained by its limits, right? Well, God wants Jacob to get a picture of that, right? And that's what this vision is about. It's a picture of seeing... Uh, the spiritual realm. Some other great examples of that in Scripture we don't have go, time to go into. But we live in a world surrounded, uh, infused, where God's spiritual activity is constantly going on around us. If we could see that realm, we would be, I think, stunned and amazed right, at what's going on around us, at who's sitting next to you with their arm around you, whispering things in your ear, right? What spiritual beings are taking notice of your life. Right? and watching you and protecting you. All right. uh, second thing. So first thing, we need to become more aware of the spiritual reality around it. Second thing, uh, we need to see our unique place in God's plan. Uh, the reality is that Jacob has no idea who he is. Right? He has no idea who he is in God's history. So God says to him, the Lord God said at the top of the stairway, He says, I am the Lord, the God of, of, of your father Abraham, your father Isaac, uh, the ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread in all directions, and all the earth will be blessed through you. God, I believe, is trying to convince him, look, you are part of something much more grand and glorious than you can imagine. You have no idea who you are. Um, and God does not state this promise in terms of a wish wishful hope. He states it in terms of an already true reality. I love he says it. He says, the land you're sleeping on already belongs to you. Right? The, the land you've been walking through is yours already. Right? Uh, you may not feel like it. Uh, other people may argue with you. But the reality is, it's yours. Right? The descendants, and he says, you know, you, he doesn't say you might have descendants. He says, your descendants will be as numerous as the sands of the sea the dust of the earth, right? And they are going to be a blessing to the entire world, right? I think he's trying to convince Jacob of who he is. Uh, do we have any idea who we are? Um, do we grasp our unique and significant role in God's grand design of history? Do you know that by you being here, uh, where you are, where you live, you are touching people uh, and changing eternity, right? You're changing the course of people's lives just by how you cross paths with people. Here's an example out of my own life. 
uh, way back when I worked at this Bible camp, Camp Idrahaji, uh, one of my duties was to recruit staff, right? So somehow or another, I ended up driving this like 18, 20-hour road trip to this place called Wilderness Bible College. How many of you have heard of Wilderness Bible College? Well, that's amazing. Okay, because it is, it is literally in the wilderness at the end of the world. End of the world in Montana. And you drive to the end of the world. And I remember driving to this place and I thought, this is, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. Okay, I'm going to recruit cows to come work at the camp because there couldn't possibly be anybody out here. Drive forever, get to this little Bible school, a handful of kids uh, in this one-year Bible program in the mountains of Montana. And while I was there, I actually recruited uh, a guy named Cliff to come work at camp, right? And so he comes from the end of the world to this Bible camp in Colorado. And Cliff uh, meets Joy, who was working at the camp, right? Now, we have some history with Joy, and the history is that I think it was Kara slid down the slide when she was about two years old and knocked out Joy's tooth. But uh, Cliff is not daunted by Toothless Joy, and he falls in love with Toothless Joy. And the two of them get married, and they have two children, and they adopt an orphan named Jack who comes off the Indian Reservation with fetal alcohol syndrome. And uh, now they are serving as missionaries in Mexico, right? And I take some credit for all of that, right? If I had not gone to the end of the world, Montana, Cliff would have never married Joy, and who knows what would have happened. And Jack would be still in the reservation, right? Uh, We don't know how in our path, right, God uses us to touch people's lives, right? Uh, And hopefully in ways much more significant than that, right? The people you share the gospel with, the people who see Christ in your life, who think twice about the end of the world because of the way you live, right? Uh, Do we know who we are in God's plan? Do we have any sense of how grand we are in the scope of God's history? Third thing, uh, we need to believe firmly in the certainty of God's promises. Uh, By the end of Jacob's life, at this point in Jacob's life, Jacob is just kind of clueless, right? It's interesting, by the end of his life, the driving force of his life is the promises of God. These very promises, right? They become his consuming passion. In fact, as he leaves uh, uh, his home and travels down to Egypt because of the drought and to follow uh, Joseph, and uh, he ends up living in, in Egypt, his promise is, don't let my bones be buried in Egypt. I must be buried back home, right? Because he had become so convinced of the reality of the promise. What is the driving force in your life? Uh, When you think about your life goals, your life purpose, the reason you live, the things that drive you, are they, do do those things come directly from the promises of God? Uh, You know, Romans 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is that good, pleasing, and perfect will. Right? Uh, as, as, as our minds become transformed, as we, as we get a new worldview and take on God's perspective on life, and we see His incredible promises for our life, okay, those things ought to be our driving passion because those are His will. 
That's how we know His will. Right? And that's how we discover the good and perfect and pleasing things that God wants to do in our life. Um, fourth thing, uh, as we just kind of go through these quickly. Fourth thing, uh, Jacob needed to experience God's continual presence. Uh, God states to him his promise, and he states it in these convincing terms. Then he says this in verse 15. He says, what's, what's more, on top of all that, Jacob, I am with you. I am with you. Now, I don't think in the end he quite got all this because uh, when he wakes up from the dream, he says, oh, man, I'm, I'm in the place where God lives, right? And he says, when I come back, I'm going to come worship God in the place where he lives, as if God was limited to this kind of wilderness area, right? He kind of missed it. Uh, what God is trying to communicate to him is, Jacob, I live where you are, okay? You're here today, so I'm with you here. But when you go somewhere else, guess what? I'm going to follow you, okay, like a shadow. I am with you. And God's being with him uh, meant, meant three things. First of all, it meant that God would protect him. So I'm with you. I will protect you. I will watch over you. I am going to keep you safe. Okay? My promises and my plan rest upon you. I'm going to make sure it works out. I will protect you. Secondly, it means that God is going to provide for his needs. Later on, uh, and we know that because later on in verse 20, Jacob restates God's presence with him in these terms. He says, if uh, God is indeed with me, will protect me, if he will provide me with food and clothing, okay, uh, God's presence with you means that God is taking care of you. Right? That God is with you means you don't have to worry about starving to death. Right? Of course, people will say, what about those Christians in such and such a place who starve to death? Well, I don't know. Okay? <clears throat> and the good news is that if you do starve to death, God is still with you. Okay, and he will sustain you, even in that. Right, he will take care of you. He will take care of you. Okay? That's what it means for God to be with you. Okay? Every day he walks with you side by side. He knows everything you face, and he has promised to take care of you, right? to protect you, to provide. And thirdly, uh, his presence means that he is our partner in life. He is with us, right? The New Testament concept of this is that we have all have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our life, okay? The Holy Spirit is God himself, fully, everything that God is, resident in us. Okay, it's not that we get a small piece of God. It's that we get all of God dwelling, resident in us as we are his temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, okay? I'm convinced that I don't understand that reality, and I'm convinced that I don't experience it enough, right? I think we're going to get to heaven, and we're just going to kick ourselves, going, if I only had known how much God was really with me, man, I would have lived life differently, right? Uh, we need to experience it. We need to experience God's continual presence, right? We need to come to grips with the fact, okay, let, let me explain this. There's nothing you can do to make more of God with you, all right? Dying and going to heaven will not make God more with you than he, he is right now. Okay, do you believe that? Do you understand that? Okay, you will never have more of God than you have right now if you put your faith and trust in Christ. 
The end of the world is not going to bring you closer to God than you are now. What needs to change is not God's nearness. What needs to change is your awareness of it. Okay, we've got to stop being so clueless. Okay, we are clueless to how resonant and how much God is with us. All right? We need our eyes open to the reality of His presence. And that's what God is trying to do here to Jacob, even though it kind of goes by him. He says, I am with you. I will never, he says, I will never abandon you. Okay, until I've fulfilled all the promises. Kind of makes it sound like when you know, I fulfilled all my promises, then I'm out of here. Not true. But the word can mean even until, even up to the point of, I'm with you till, I, till the end, okay, and beyond. Right? Last thing. Uh, the last um, thing that we need to know more convincingly is we need to understand much more deeply the power of the cross. <clears throat> now you might kind of think, well, man, where does he get this out of this passage? Um, well, it actually comes from John 151, not this passage. But John 151 says this, and it helps us interpret um, the meaning of the latter. John 151 says, uh, Then uh, he said, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, you will see all heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Okay, that's a verse that usually just goes right by me. I mean, I read that, studying for this, I thought, well, I've never read that verse. Okay, uh, but do you get the picture of what this verse is saying? You will see heaven open when Jesus died on the cross. Okay, when he went to the cross, he became the stairway by which all of heaven was open and by which God descended to earth to us, right? The, the crazy thing is, you know, people are so caught up in the end of the world and wanting to leave earth and go to heaven. But the picture here is the opposite. The picture is God on the top of this escalator, the stairway, with his hand on the rail, longing to come down, right? God can't wait to invade earth personally, right? And how does he do that? Well, he does it through Jesus. That's what the incarnation is. The incarnation is Jesus walking down that stairway and coming to earth to live and dwell and be with us, to die for our sin, to redeem us, so that he didn't so much bring us to heaven and he brought all of heaven down to us, right? So that the full blessing, power, and abundance of God would be poured out to us through this stairway. So you'll see heaven open. You'll see the angels coming up and down through Christ. In other words... In other words, the cross is a lot more than about just the forgiveness of sin. Okay, now the forgiveness of sin is a huge thing. And I don't want to in any way minimize what Jesus did for our atonement uh, to purchase for us the forgiveness of sin. But we sell short the cross if we think that's all it was. Okay? We need to understand more deeply the power of the cross in bringing to us the fullness of all that God intended for us from all eternity. The cross, Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection is the doorway to heaven for us. Not just so that we can someday go to heaven, but so that God could pour out the full riches and blessings of heaven on us now and through all eternity. 
Again, you may say, well, I don't feel terribly blessed, right? I don't feel like heaven has been unloaded on me, right? Well, again, it's, it's not a matter of the reality of it. It's the matter of our seeing it, all right? Uh, you have full possession, as much as Jacob did on this day, of all God's inheritance. God says, look, Jacob, you're a long way from home. You're going the wrong direction. You don't have a camel. You don't have anything. But you have already inherited fully this land. This land you were walking on belongs to you. All of God's promises belong fully to you through the cross. Uh, Man, we need to come to grips with that. Uh, We so long for what we already have instead of opening our eyes to see what is already ours. We worry so much about getting, about grabbing hold of what we already possess. How much of our prayers are praying and asking God to give us what we already have? Instead of saying, God, help me just to see and really experience what you have already poured out in my life through the finished work of Christ on the cross. Let's pray. Father, we do just thank you so much for uh, all of these incredible promises. And Lord, it can just be theology. It can just be empty truths that, uh, that we can write on a piece of paper and say, yeah, that's, that's true. But Lord, that's so far short of what you want it to be in our life. Lord, you long for us to experience these things. Uh, You long for us to walk in these truths um, that our life would be built on them. That as Paul says in Romans, that we would not be squeezed and conformed to the world's way of thinking, but that our lives would be transformed by the knowledge of these things so that we would know your good and perfect uh, and joyful and pleasing will and walk in it. So Lord, we pray that these things would become much more than just truths, that they really would become the reality we live and move and breathe in. Uh, Lord, we want to know you and see you. Uh, Lord, help us, help us get it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.